0: That the risks were too great. All but one of the guards had fled, abandoning their weapons and their uniforms, and there were already black garbed gunmen in the museum garden. So they had locked the front doors and left through the back entrance before fleeing across the river to the eastern side, where they waited in the house of a colleague for the fighting to cease. But it did not stop. When they attempted to return over the bridge of the medical city, they were turned back, and so they stayed with their colleague once again, and drank coffee, and waited some more. Perhaps they had remained there for too long, debating back and forth the wisdom of abandoning what was for now a place of safety. But what else could they have done? Yet he could not forgive himself or assuage his guilt He had abandoned her, and they had had their way with her. And now he was crying, not from the dirt and filth, but from rage and hurt and loss. He did not stop. Not even his booted feet approached him, and a soldier shone a flashlight in his face. There were others behind him, their weapons raised. "'Sir, who are you?' asked the soldier. Dr. Eldaini did not reply. He could not. All of his attention was fixed on the eyes of the broken girl. Sir, do you speak English? I'll ask you one more time. Who are you? Dr. Eldaini picked up on the nervousness in the soldier's voice, but also the hint of arrogance, the natural superiority of the conqueror over the conquered. He sighed and raised his eyes. My name is Dr. Mufid Aldaini," he said, wiping his eyes, and I am the deputy curator of Roman antiquities at this museum. Then he reconsidered. No, I was the deputy curator of Roman antiquities, for now there is no museum left. Now there are only fragments. You let this happen. You stood by and let this happen but he was speaking as much to himself as he was to them, and the words turned to ash in his mouth. The staff had left the museum on Tuesday. On Saturday, they learned that the museum had been looted, and then began to return in an effort to assess the damage and prevent any further theft. Someone said that the looting had commenced as early as Thursday, when hundreds of people had gathered at the fence surrounding the museum. For two days, they were free to ransack. Already, there were rumors that insiders had been involved, some of the museum's own guardians targeting the most valuable artifacts. The thieves took everything that could be moved, and much of what they could not take, they attempted to destroy. Dr. Aldaini and some others had gone to the headquarters of the Marines and pleaded for help in securing the building for the staff was fearful that the looters would return, and the U.S. Army tanks at the intersection only 50 meters from the museum had refused to come to their aid, citing orders. They were eventually promised guards by the Americans, but only now, on Wednesday, had they come. Dr. Aldaini had arrived just shortly before them, for he had been one of those assigned the role of liaison with the soldiers in the media, and had spent the previous days being passed up and down the military ranks and providing contacts for journalists. Carefully, he raised the head of the broken girl. Youthful, yet ancient, the paint still visible on her hair and mouth and eyes after almost four thousand years. Look, he said, still weeping, look at what they did to her. And the soldiers stared for a moment at this old man, covered in white dust, a hollow head in his hands, before moving on to secure the looted halls of the Iraq Museum. They were young men, and this operation was about the future, not the past. No lives had been lost. Not here. These things happened. After all, there was a war on. Dr. Aldaini watched the soldiers go. He looked around and saw a swatch of paint-spattered cloth lying by a fallen display case.